Hello, and welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizzled on the Twitters. I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And happy Monday. Hopefully your Mondays are going well smoothly without any complications or problems. Hopefully you didn't drop your phone face down on the street while walking to the office and uh, splinter your screen a little bit. Oh, no. Yeah, that would be terrible if that happened to anyone. Yeah, it would suck. It would be a totally not great way to start off your week. But, you know, that's just a hypothetical. That didn't happen to any one of us in particular. Yeah, I mean, because if it did, totally would have just packed it in and not even done anything today. Yeah, so. yeah. No one would blame you either. No, not at all. No, none, none of your editorial staff would be upset that they that you just dropped out of the map today and and left them to handle all of the uh, the fun fun things like Donald Trump showing up on on Game in a of- Game of Thrones supercut. Yeah. yeah, this has been a really fun morning, you guys. But uh, we're really glad to be here with you and. Because we want to talk to you about a little thing that happens, hopefully, to all of us at least once in our lives. We're going to talk about love. Ooh, love. Hot topic. Hot topic. Um, I don't know if we've really dug into how much Ben and I have enjoyed joking about the fact that Judd Apatow has named his new show Love, Love, uh, <laughs> which is a show... I don't know, Ben, do you love love? Well... Liz, as we've gone over a few times personally in our in our back and forth, I do love love. I don't know if I love Judd Apatow's love. I yeah. like it. You I like, like you love. like love. Yeah. Do you love love, Liz? I do not love love. I mean, I love love, but I don't love Judd Apatow's love either. And but I don't. I I, I don't think that Judd Apatow's love wants to be loved. Is loved is the thing. That's a very good point, and I I think that leads us nicely into kind of the the broader question we're going to be asking on today's show but to that point i mean it's definitely a very specific show like it's a show very much designed to be about these two people in this very specific kind of romance so uh so yeah i i I agree with you let's let's add some extra context so uh love is about uh Love, Love Star is really co-created by uh, Judd Apatow. The other creators on it are Paul Rust and Leslie R. Finn, who uh, was a writer. Paul Rust is an actor you've seen around a ton. Uh, Leslie R. Finn is a, was a writer on Girls and has done a bunch of other stuff as well. I think she wrote for Vice. I think I was reading that this weekend. I think you're right. And uh, so anyways, the three of them created this show about a... Uh, oddball couple that gets together. Uh, Paul Rust is like a nerdy, a nerdy uh, you know, tutor on set for a CWS show that I would totally watch. And uh, <laughs> uh, Mickey, who is played by uh, Jillian Jacobs, is a wild. They keep they, they they love calling her a wild child when what she is is a uh, barely functioning alcoholic and addict, uh, you know, working at a radio station and making terrible life choices. Yes. And that kind of, I did respect how they kind of built up to the reveal slash realization that she was an addict in general. Like how for a while you kind of just watched her go through the motions and maybe that entered your mind if you, if you wanted to go to that level. But like her addressing it kind of naturally came into the show. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing to point out with, with Paul Russ's character is, as you described him, he is very much kind of the nerdy teacher. 
but he's also been given the opportunity to voice his rage with being described as the nerdy guy like again and again and again and being put in that context by women which to me spoke very much to kind of how this show was developed as sort of inspired sort of based around rust and orphans actual marriage and actual coupling um there's obviously leniencies taken to to the general story but i felt like very specific moments and this is something that shows up in a lot of apatow projects very specific moments seem to speak to real honest things that happen and they've found a real honest way to integrate them into to the story that they're telling yeah i mean the thing that i really respect about the show is that i mean the thing with Paul Rust's character is that he is very much he's very, like he's very much set up as like the quote unquote nice guy, and yet he is not a nice guy. He's kind of a dick because uh, you know what the 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 trope of the nice guy is that is kind of a fallacy, and not that there aren't nice guys out there. God, please, nice guys, you exist. Trust me, I hope. God, I hope you exist because I need to date you at some point. Um, <laughs> But, uh, no, it's not that, the, it's just the, you, but we, you know, whenever there's like, I'm such a nice guy, why, why won't girls like me? I just, you know, don't treat them well is all, and I get resentful when they don't immediately have sex with me. Like, you know what we're talking about there, nice guys, because you're a nice guy, you understand, you get it. Ben, you're a nice guy, you understand, you get it. It's true, and if I thought of myself as a nice guy, then that would be my fatal flaw. And if I know I'm a nice guy, then I'm going to start expecting things for being a nice guy and also resenting the fact that you're going to categorize me as a nice guy. And that is a a discussion that they kind of open up and address both explicitly in the show and then implicitly by the idea that he doesn't quite realize that that's what keeps him from being an authentically nice guy. That is so well articulated. Thank you, Ben. Well, you know, I'm a nice guy, Liz. I can can put this stuff together. (laughs) So, uh, anyways, yeah, uh, the thing that, so, but I think we're talking about love specifically, like there's a lot of stuff to discuss in terms of how it represents all these issues, but also, uh, we, one thing, and this comes to something that you got out of Judd Apatow during, uh, TCA has been, is the idea that, you know, Love is very much in a piece with Judd Apatow's previous work, especially things like Knocked Up and This is 40 and so forth, and that it's a hard look at complicated relationships uh, with like real heart to it, but also real sincerity to it. And the fact that it's happening on TV this time instead of on film is an interesting, uh, an interesting shift. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, one of the things I didn't know going into the show slash even talking about the show with these people was the fact that um, some of the original basis, or at least in Judd Apatow's mind, was what would it be like if Knocked Up became a TV show. And, I mean, obviously he's very connected to that project, uh, considering he you know he made that, it was a big hit. He eventually came back and made a pseudo-sequel to it, uh, which was, oh God, I'm forgetting the name. This is 40. This is 40, you just mentioned it. Um, which, you know, had a very different vibe and was marketed towards a very different audience, even though it was, you know, marketed toward, literally marketed toward the same audience. Um, but yeah, he seems to be very focused on exploring this kind of dynamic and, and, and it all somehow comes back to Knocked Up for him. I don't know if I would make that connection if I wasn't told that. I don't know if I would think of this as something that would be in the vein of Knocked Up, other than being a Judd Apatow project. Um, but yeah, like kind of exploring the idea of if 
Judd Apatow's style of writing and and you know wanton for more analysis in in re, in regard to situations like these, like very real, authentic, you know, romantic, sure, but also just kind of day to day life situations and and analyzing all of that. Maybe that's more fitting for him to explore on television rather than in movies. I mean, one of the things I noted in the in the article I wrote about uh, you know the interview we did with him was that he gets a lot of flack for making his movies so long because people aren't accustomed to comedies or romantic comedies being that much longer than 90 minutes. Like if they broach the two-hour mark, it's, it's seen as a huge problem. And there's definitely issues with some of his later movies that are very long, especially funny people. But at the same time, a lot of them work very well because he seems to be so engaged with the topics and he brings up points and, and observational humor and, and just authentically funny humor that works really well for me. So I, it was never a huge issue with the early movies, but because people keep talking about it, it's a very easy transition to make like, okay, maybe he should just be working in television. Maybe that's a more fitting format for him to dig into all this stuff he really wants to dig into. I will say, I, I want to say two things to that. One is that Normally, I hear you on the length issue. In the case of Judd Apatow, though, it was really striking to me when I saw, I think I th saw The 40-Year-Old Virgin in the theater, and I really loved it. Like, I thought it was great. I just, like, stellar across the board, great movie. So when it came out in the home video, video I was visiting my folks, and uh, we, I was like, oh, we should watch this movie. It's great. Uh, I, I don't even know if they, I imagine they've distributed the theatrical cut somewhere, but what they, we ended up getting was the un, unrated extended cut. And God, just the, I, I think it was like only maybe 15 or 20 minutes longer, but just adding that extra 15 or 20 minutes, it, it, it made the movie play like lead. It was not great. Um, and so it was the first example I really ever had of like, yeah, sometimes length really, it does matter. Uh, and you know, that, you know, when you add too much, it can really, you know, just kind of destroy the viewing experience. No, no, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, you, you, it, more to my point was that he was being criticized for releasing the original theatrical cuts of stuff like The 40-Year-Old Virgin and Knocked Up, which clock in close to like an hour and 50 or an hour and 55 minutes, and that scene is too long within okay, the... Okay, I see. So, even, so you, you, you see it as even going back to The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Like oh, that, yeah. That 40-Year-Old that Virgin absolutely got criticism for being too long, which to me was ridiculous. I was right on your team. I saw it in theaters and loved it immediately. It's something that I've rewatched since then. I can enjoy the extended cut because I know what... Like I fell in love with originally, right. but yeah, if you're gonna talk about it, then the theatrical cut is the one to analyze. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the thing that I find interesting about all of that criticism about Judd Apatow is, like, I mean, I think we were all joke. There were jokes I heard about, oh, good, exactly what Judd Apatow needs: complete lack of restriction on uh, episode length on Netflix. But actually, I think. Pacing-wise, the episodes never dragged for me at all. Like, having watched all of them, like, I I found myself really engaged with the world. I think the thing I, I was realizing about Love at a certain point was that it was a show I was really enjoying watching, even though I wasn't sure I liked it. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, it was like, I found it very pleasant viewing, but at the same time, like, these aren't necessarily great people that I find I, I need to engage with. I don't know. That, that's actually, an, I mean, the likability question is always something that comes in with a show like this. And I think one thing, one reason why I really want to talk about love is how often I found myself thinking about Hulu's casual. 
which is a very similar show in a lot of respects, just in terms of vibe. It has the same sort of indie background uh, in terms of filmmaker credentials and that sort of thing. Uh, different character dynamics, of course, because the main characters in Casual are brother and sister, and thank God they never go there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely key. And, um, I mean, that's a fair comparison point to bring up as well, like in terms of, of what the shows are. Though, going back to what you said about kind of the worry that people had with Judd Aptow going to a, a format like Netflix, especially not just TV, but going to Netflix, um, I actually would argue that some of those episodes do drag. And they yeah. were... They were the ones that clocked in at about 35, or 35 minutes, um, and he varied. Like, there were some that were 25 to 27. There were some that were 35. And, I mean, he's only the writer, I think, on the first episode, and, like, a credited writer on the first episode, and then credit as creator throughout the rest of it. So this isn't all just sitting on Judd Aptow. But in terms of kind of the pacing of the show, there was one episode that really stood out to me, which was when um, Paul Russ's character goes on a date with her roommate, Oh, and yeah. it's just kind of an analysis of, you know, how those dates can go wrong. Like what can what bad what minor bad things can happen that will lead to just realizing, you know, this isn't gonna work out. Um and they took that to a, a, a much bigger place, like in kind of the second half of that episode, which worked for me, but getting to that point took way too long. Yeah. So like there's there's little instances like that where I think if you gave it the time and attention that you would give a movie, like if you were paying attention to it, like this is a two-hour thing, um, it's it's complete, it's whole, I'm analyzing just that section of it, I think if you looked at those episodes like that, you'd still be able to find things that you could cut or fine-tune with, with some of them. Um, whereas, you know, with a lot of people who are binging on Netflix, it just kind of flows together. So it does feel, you know, like the cliche term out there, like it's just a long movie, like it's a five-hour movie. Um, and that kind of allows for some of the things to work and allows you to have that feeling of just kind of, I'm enjoying this. Like I'm enjoying being with these people. I'm enjoying, you know, like the little bits of humor that pop up to kind of keep you invested. And, uh, speaking to your point about kind of how the characters, you know, came across, I felt like they structured that pretty well in the sense that you didn't learn a lot about what made them unlikable until later in the season. You didn't really see kind of their darker side until they faced that together. So then that helped you kind of access them and and appreciate them all the way through those points. So I, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's how you took it, but that's kind of what helped me get through it. And by the end I definitely had that same feeling where I was like, I don't know how I feel about these people, but at the beginning or even through the first three or four episodes, I didn't have any of those worries. No, I like that a lot. I think actually this goes back to this kind of comes to the central question we're at we're, we're, we're talking about here which is the idea that how of how romance plays differently on tv than on film uh because you know with love this is a this is a sort of love story that we could in theory see condensed into a two-hour movie but would we be as intrigued by it and especially given the fact that these characters on paper as as you said, like we we find out why they're why why they have these unlike unlikable traits along the way, but if we had to meet them in a quick like five minute you know montage at the beginning of a rom com, like <laughs> what, what what would that even look like? Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I mean, so I mean, the the thing is like. Yeah, like, and I think in general it speaks to what has always made television so captivating, which is character, which is the fact that we live with these characters, when you live with a, with these characters for a length of time, like, 
you become really invested in them and you want them to find some, even even like someone necessarily that you don't even necessarily really like like you want them to find some measure of happiness yeah i mean with television it it gives you a lot more time to kind of sink into the empathetic nature of things like just of, of the audience you know they you can tap into that um, that part of us where it's like, you know, I don't care how bad they are, like, no matter what, I, I kind of just want people to be happy. Like, you just kind of want everyone to be happy. Um, and especially in, in a romance like this where, you know, neither of them are walking around killing people. Like, there's not a, an obvious anti-hero. <laughs> it's not like you're trying to root for somebody on Game of Thrones. Like, you're actually, these are just supposed to be very real people who are going through very identifiable circumstances. And I think what love does best in terms of using its television platform is creating that kind of insular understanding of romance that couples share almost exclusively between themselves. Like they're the ones who really know why this is working and maybe sometimes they can't see why it isn't working like when they're having problems, but that kind of shared connection of, you know, why we're going to stay together or why we're going to try to make this work is something that's very hard to come across unless you can put it in very plain, rational terms, which is not how romance works a lot of the time. And I felt like this show captured that pretty well. No, it's beautifully put. I mean, I think the thing that I really, yeah, I, and I think that's something that love, love really nails it, I think, with like minor characters. Like, uh, like let's not do spoilers, but there's one minor character who kind of stumbles across like a guy who's perfect for her. And it's not like, you know, it's not like a barn burning fireworks relationship necessarily, but what they, what, what kind of happens between them is just like, oh, that, this is great. This is like, this is a character I've become invested in because I've seen her in several episodes. I want something nice to happen for her. And here it is. And yeah, even like somebody minor like that, once you've seen her in several, several episodes, you, you care. And you under, also understand, it's like, it's like when you meet somebody that you realize would be perfect to date one of your best friends and you're like, okay, great. Now I get it. <laughs> yeah. And that, and that brings up a great point because in terms of movies, if you see those characters, you're not going to get that much time with them and they can become, you know, fan favorites and they can really stand out and they can steal scenes and, and all that stuff. And then your instinctual option, you know, especially if you're you know, a studio executive or something, is to give them their own movie. But maybe they don't succeed as well on that bigger plane. Maybe you just want to keep them in that role longer where they're the supporting player that works out. And on TV, you can do that. Um, and I'm not saying that that's what went wrong with, like, the transition from Knocked Up to This Is 40, where, you know, Paul, R Paul Rudd and, and uh, Leslie, oh, God, Leslie, Leslie what's her Bibb, name? Leslie I think. Leslie Bibb, yeah, didn't Bibb? deserve their own movie. Um, they, I think that they did. I think that they like they justified that within the movie itself. But uh, but there are those characters who might not. And in TV, you can just stick with them. They can just stay who they are in the role that they have, and you can just keep appreciating appreciating that for a longer period of time. Yeah, uh, I'm looking up Leslie Bibb right now because I'm not sure if that's right. Oh God, uh, that's bad. She's really good. Leslie Mann. It's Leslie Mann. It's Leslie it? Mann. Yeah, Leslie Bibb is yeah. also great. Different yeah. actress. I knew that sounded wrong. Uh, good. We figured that out. <laughs> Not that I wasn't listening to what you said. Um, Doesn't matter. No, it does. Does it? Does It does. Well, I think the, the, other, the other intriguing thing, because you, you made the point about like transitioning from Knocked Up to This is 40 and yep. you know, putting those characters at the center of a story that maybe was less successful. 
One of my favorite things about it, I, I got a copy of the This Is 40 screenplay somehow, I, f I forget how, uh, before it came out, and I was reading, I eventually, I was, after reading like about 10 pages, I just did a search for how many times the word iPad was used, it was 17. <laughs> <laughs> 17 times they use the word iPad in description or dialogue and that which is I think a really and given that this movie was like several years a couple of years ago so you know oh. before iPads were really a widespread phenomenon I that that's just struck struck me as very very telling anyways point is uh point is I think the nice thing the other really important thing about love and it speaks to your point is the fact that you know this does in theory, I, I, I doubt that this will change because, as you said, as, as we've talked about, like the characters are the characters are based on Paul Russ and Leslie Arfin's actual relationship. But this does not have to continue to be the Gus and Mickey show. Like this could become a show about other characters. This could evolve into like an it could almost become an anthology series, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's kind of one of the things that really struck me when I especially by the end of it was that, you know, this thing could work as a standalone entity. Like, especially, you know, the way that, you know, if you if you stick to that analogy of a five-hour movie, of thinking of them like that, then, yeah, this could just end. And that would just be the segment of their relationship that we needed to see. And you can believe in, in what happened next, you know, however you need to believe it. Um, and, yeah, because of the way that they presented this specific romance and because of the way that it felt so personal and specific to these two people, it's like I'd almost like to see them take on another kind of romance, another relationship, and let us live in that for a season and then live in another one for a season. And I don't know exactly how you do that without losing these main characters, and I don't want that to happen, but, I mean... Whenever these guys decide to make another show, if they decide to make another show similar to this, I'll be excited to see what they do. Here's the thing. Uh, I would have been really intrigued if, for example, This Is 40 had checked in with Allison and Ben from Knocked Up. Character it is, I only remember, by the way, because I was just re-watching this movie last night. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, if 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 because they didn't check it, this is forty. I'm pretty sure does not check in with uh, the Leslie Mann character's sister. No, I don't think so. I, I feel like they had some sort of explanation as to like what was happening with them, but I don't, I don't remember it. Like they definitely didn't show up. But like, what if is what if love next season was much more about two new characters, but they happen to be friends with Gus and Mickey. And so we got to check in with Gus and Mickey on a regular basis and see how their relationship was developing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the that's the most important thing about that Jet Avatar piece you did is the statement from Jet. Not the most important thing, but one of the things I found really interesting was the fact that Jet Avatar said, "You don't know what happened in the morning after that that movie ends. Like they could be broken up now, they could be divorced or something. You know, like you know, just because the movie ends." ends on a happy note doesn't mean that those characters have a happy ending. Yeah, and I think that in and of itself illustrates a really important difference on <coughs> you know, how you look at romance in, in film and television because you, know, you want to believe that whatever note you're left with in a film is the note that will continue to carry on and that's how you think of them for the rest of time. And movies can definitely use that to their advantage, especially you know, very traditional uh, rom-coms which just want to leave you walking out of the theater with a with a leap in your heart um but on television you've got to stick with it a little bit longer so you have to you can't just end it 
like like Californication ends perfectly in season one, and I'd prefer to think of that ending for the rest of time, but then they went on for six more seasons, and now that weight is bogging down in my mind instead of just believing that these two characters you know, jumped in the back of a car together and drove off into the sunset. It's like that worked really, really well. And in love, it's like, okay, well, I feel like this ending actually works really, really well for their relationship, for explaining kind of how they ended up at this point and the not knowing of what's going to happen in the future. But it's going to be a huge test, assuming that this gets renewed and they do stick with these characters. It's going to be a huge test to see where they take them and kind of what new pitfalls and what new challenges face them as a couple. I think is that yes you have to keep the relationships going with TV but that is part of what makes us engage with TV like I mean if you're if the, the this is like a big a big part of why conversations about oh no they can't get together it will ruin the show drive me crazy because it only ruins the show if the only compelling element of your show is whether or not your main characters are going to have sex like if you can't sustain a, a compelling, believable adult relationship, and B, other narrative elements, then what the hell are you doing making a TV show? Yeah, and I think that's like a very important notion of, of what you're talking about when you know how to make a good romance on TV. It's like if you're going to put these guys together, you need to understand what's going to happen next, and you also need to understand why people are appreciating the show. And I see it time, you see it time and time again. I see it all the time because I'm a sucker for rom-coms. I, like I said earlier in the podcast, I love love, so I'm going to watch a lot of stuff about it, even the, you know, the broadcast stuff. Like, New Girl dr- drives me crazy with how they, like, just, like, the Nick and Jess thing was such a mess. Like, I've, I've seen that so many times because I just leave it on in the background. Um, but it, it was just such a mess. And then they, like the way that they break them up and get them back together, it doesn't seem to cohesively like cohesively string together. Like it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't connect. But then you get shows like truly great shows like Friday night lights, where you've got an actual, uh, you've got an actual married couple who's happy the entire time. And they're the most inspiring thing. And all you want to do is sit there with them and watch them drink, drink wine and go back and forth. And then uh, for me, which I know you disagree with on a little bit, I love Friends. I thought Friends did it beautifully. Like they set them, they set up the Ross and Rachel dynamic early. They broke them up in a very definitive manner, and that kept them apart until the very end of the show. Did it go on two seasons too long? Possibly, but they weren't going to risk the actual relationship between them to get that done. So yeah, I, I really, I mean, you have to understand that if you, if people like watching them together. You, it's on you to come up with a, either a legitimate reason to break them up or a legitimate way to keep us engaged while they're together because it's not the end all. Like it's not, it's not, marriage is not death on TV anymore. Like getting together is not death on TV anymore. We want to see that continue on because there's so many more layers to it. I mean, hopefully at least. That's the thing. Like if you can't, right. that's, that's when you, you know, I feel like if you don't know how to execute a will they, won't they on television, it just shows that you don't know how to plot really good television on a, on a, on a grand scale. I would agree. Right. Um, God, you, you mentioned something that I wanted to respond. Oh, I was going to defend my, my, my issue with friends to clarify my no. issue with friends. No, no. I'm going to, Nope. I'm doing it. Um, yeah. my issue with friends is that I agree with Ross. They were on a break. She is being, she is being really pissy for no good reason. And oh God, Liz, you're going to get so much hate mail right now. <laughs> No one cares about Friends anymore. Everyone cares about Friends. I mean, they made that huge deal about the non-Friends reunion special that aired last night, which wasn't a freaking reunion at all. 
Uh, God, that was ridiculous. But hey. <laughs> the point is, is that I, I, I just have a, I have a nitpicking plot issue with friends. I understand. But the I, point I, is, Liz is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they were on a break. <laughs> Get over your uh, shit, Rachel. They I love that break. it's a scenario that I have become the Rachel and you're the Ross. I love that. <laughs> that, that feels very like authentic to how it oh, actually man. works out, like did our you, perspectives. Did you see the – there's this great bit on Grandfathered where uh, Paget Brewster's character is like by herself alone at night and is just super bored and doesn't know what to do with herself. And she just keeps retaking the same what care, friends character are you quiz and she keeps getting Ross. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like, oh, no, damn. I'm so a Monica. Uh, I don't. I think I must have missed that somehow because I've definitely been keeping up on that show. But, yeah, it's uh, an earlier episode. Yeah, that's and good. Most importantly, that I think all of the IndieWire staff once did take a uh, what, what friends character are you quiz, and we all did get Ross. Yeah, um, there's a lot of Rosses here. A lot of Rosses. Well, I think I think like the there are always the questions like that just basically skew. Are you the nerd of your group? And you know that that skews Ross as well. And that would make Paul Rust explode, like his character on Love. He would go nuts if he had to answer that question. I mean, to be fair, Paul Rust is totally the frost of that show. That's true. <laughs> yeah, he's not. He's not Chandler. He's not Joey. <laughs> you could make an argument that he's Monica. But. Yeah, I think the thing is, in the, in the long run, to wrap things up. I really do respect. Like I said, I did really enjoy watching Love, and I do think that it is a really natural extension of everything that Judd Apatow is doing and also just what Judd Apatow said about rom-coms in general I think does pay off really well with the show. Yeah, I think in a in a crowded TV marketplace if you're somebody somebody like me who loves love um, you're going to find a lot of things to talk about with this show. You're going to find a lot of things that you can dig into that make it worth the time, which isn't even that long. You know, it's five hours. Um, that make it worth the time and, and when there's so many other options out there. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend it. Um, but it's, I mean, part of what makes it great is that it's divisive. So Yeah, I, I, I definitely, we, we definitely want to hear what you guys have to say about the show. You should definitely tell us via Twitter or email or whatever. Uh, what you what what if you got the chance to check it out? What you think of it? I mean, it's a very specific show, so I'd actually really love to hear what people who aren't necessarily white twenty somethings or white white thirty somethings living in East Los Angeles have to say. Um, if this show is relatable to people who do not fall into a very specific category of human being uh, that the show rep celebrates, uh, I'd love to know about their your reaction. And it's also interesting to to think of it in the perspective of Netflix released Master of None, you know, three months ago. -ish, yeah. Uh, and now Love. So, like, kind of seeing relationships through those young eyes like this, uh, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting contrast in how it's presented and, and how those stories are told. Because, yeah, I mean, in theory, two shows relatively similar, but could not be more different. East Coast, West Coast, baby. Yeah. Also, I'm just going to say it. So, on a Netflix is a softie. So one of Netflix has a, is a sweetheart. Oh, they're my people. They're, yeah, indeed. No wonder we keep writing about them. <laughs> um, in the meantime, Ben, what's the best thing you watched last week? All right. Uh, we kind of we got really close to talking about it, um, but the best thing I, wa I watched last week is one that I've been watching for a while. Uh, it's partnered with Grandfathered on Tuesday nights, and it's The Grinder. And <laughs> 
Um, there's two things that I really wanted to highlight in in talking about the grinder right now. Like I, I, I do feel bad. I mentioned this to Liz. I, I feel bad because when it first came out, we didn't really have screeners, so I didn't actually get a chance to review it. So I haven't been able to properly praise this show. Prop. I mean, it, it's great. It's a fantastic show. Um, but of late, the addition of Maya Rudolph to the cast oh, is kind God. of a great guest arc. Is just tremendous. Like Maya Rudolph in anything is a highlight, and seeing her kind of go back and forth with Rob Lowe is is just fantastic um and then the second thing is their titles for these episodes are fantastic i mean they're so good they're they're so punny and awful but they're awfully brilliant i mean last week's episode was called the ties that grind which is just amazing and then this week's episode is delusions of grinder (laughs) oh my god it's beautiful i it's so good i can't even get over it so uh, please do us a favor, check out The Grinder because it's not doing as good as it needs to in the ratings to get an automatic pickup. I think we're in pretty good shape considering the awards buzz it's generated already, but we want to make sure this thing keeps going. Yeah, I will go ahead and be lame and name droppy and say that I was on the set of The Grinder last week. Uh, yeah. I was, I, I basically, uh, we got the opportunity, I, we, got the, we got asked if we wanted to talk to Natalie Morales, and, who is an actress I love. And I was like, I will, I will talk to her, but I'd like to do it in something, do something interesting with it. And they're like, okay, well, here, come hang out on the set with her. And so I did that. I mean, we basically just, we basically, I, I watched a little filming, and then we sat in her trailer while she ate lunch, and we talked, and then we went back, and I watched a little bit of filming before leaving, because, uh, you know, t- everything on the set takes like twice as long as is as it should, and all that. Uh, but she was talking about how when Maya Rudolph was on set, she would just like constantly be like trying to hang out with her, just like standing near her and like be like, hi, Maya, how's it going? Isn't that funny what that guy said? That's her thing. She was adorable. Uh, I'm talking about specifically Natalie Morales, but it also sounds like imagining Natalie Morales trying to impress Maya Rudolph is now like my favorite thing. That's very relatable. Yeah, I feel like that's what all of us would try to do in that scenario. We all, if I was around Maya Rudolph, I'd try to find a reason to talk to her and, and to bond with her. You just so. want her to approve of you. That's true. I want her approval, and I want like a, a very specific joke that she's going to tell, because it would be great. It would yeah, be a great show. Absolutely. Um, but, but Liz, tell us, uh, tell us what the best thing was you watched last week. Oh, man, we're so broadcasty today. Yeah. Uh, so the best thing I watched last week, I finally got a chance to catch up with Agent Carter. Um <laughs> Don't, I'm not even, you know, no, I'm not even ashamed of that one. Like, sometimes I come to you with these and I am ashamed. This time, no. That show is straight up doing a really nice job. Um, I didn't realize how far, I guess, how far down the broadcast line your reference was. Like, that, that feels doubly broadcast to me because it's like a Marvel property and on ABC. So <laughs> that's, that's really what caught me off guard. I've heard nothing but good things about it, and what I've seen of it is very good. So, yeah, sorry. Actually, Go. no, but I, wanna, I, I just realized I, something I meant to mention when we were talking about, like, the idea of love expanding out and bringing in all these other characters and so forth. It's like, I love the idea of the Judd Apatow-verse becoming, like, the Marvel universe. <laughs> where you do have to, like, keep yeah. up. Where you do have to keep up with everybody. <laughs> and all I, these I things. mean, that could work really well. Especially considering you, he's, he, he's got such good people. Yeah. Like, he's, he has, like people you always kind of want to come back to anyway. So so if, so if Judd Apatow, no, not Judd Apatow if, if Paul Rudd shows up on Love as his character from This Is 40 and Knocked Up, you're okay with it. I'd be yeah. I'd feel pretty good about it because one, I mean, yeah, you would you would probably benefit from seeing 
you know, knocked up and, and this is 40 for the appearance. But I would assume that you would also just be really happy to see Paul Rudd. So I mean, everyone's works, works either way. Or Leslie Mann, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but anyway, so Agent Carter is actually, it's, 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 it was always a better show than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And this season has been really fun. They've done, they, they did a, they did something that similar to what Archer is going to do for its next season, apparently, which is they shifted to L.A., they shifted to, and, and now they're really, it's, it's now like they're digging into like, basically the main villain of the season is essentially Hedy Lamar, who, if you don't know, is actually a fascinating human being, uh, but who not only was a famous actress of the 1940s, but was also a brilliant scientist. The bad guy in Agent Carter is not technically Hedy Lamar, but she's inspired by her. She's a brilliant scientist slash movie star, which is not as, because thanks to Hedy Lamar, that's not actually an improbable thing. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's, it's a really, there's a, they, they do a lot to evolve the show. Uh, they, Keep they they kept the characters that were most interesting from first the first season in the mix. Uh, everyone's really fun. Uh, I feel like I said something catty once about James Darcy and comedy, and I don't remember what, what it was. But he's actually very funny. It wasn't like a dig at his abilities. I think he was. I think oh, that's what it was. He once said that he had never. He said at TCA's when promoting the first Agent Car- the first season of Agent Carter, that he'd never been in a comedy before, and I didn't i was like what what was what was cloud atlas then uh, oh. yeah sorry that was a, like i said it was something catty but the point is james darcy is really funny yeah, it's a long yeah. way of getting around to it so yeah this I, is the takeaway from the from agent carter james darcy funny guy funny guy actually uh yeah but i i would say honestly if you didn't watch season one of agent carter you might miss out on details but i would just check out season two if you if you if you were in the mood i think there's a <laughs> lot there's a lot to recommend it I might do that. It might. Uh, it's definitely on Hulu, so I might. I might be able to check out a couple episodes. Um, Haley Atwell is so fun and so pretty. That's yeah. The, no one could possibly dispute that. So, yes. um, um, but give me give me a minute to to kind of take all this in and, and just go ahead and tell us your next thing that you're looking forward oh, you to. Want, you 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 want me to go first or next thing? Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably for the best. And the next thing I'm looking forward to is the X Files. I knew it. I knew it. I'm only saying it because I. It's the last time I'm going to be able to say it for a while, and I'm so nervous, Ben. I just I don't I don't know what's going to happen tonight. I just know I have to watch it live, and I I don't like it. I don't I don't like having to just kind of be watching a new episode of The X Files written and directed by Chris Carter that could, in theory, be really good or, in theory, not. Yeah, I mean it's it's the first time this season that you've had to watch an episode live without seeing it beforehand. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, that's not, I don't want to make a big deal about that. Like, I mean, I'm a grown well, up. It's I can a game changer. Like, it's especially a, for your review that's going to come out right away and you have to, you'll experience it with everybody else. So you're going to be seeing well, I mean, like, quick you, reactions and when, I don't when know, it's you, different. You, when you say everyone else, no, I'm going into a hyperbaric chamber and I'm not coming out until I've written my <laughs> review. Um, I'm, I'm off the grid for like a good solid six hours tonight. I just can't handle be, I, I I really need it to be like purely my opinion. I can't look at anything. I'm just I, I, if I if I could throw my router off the wind off the balcony, I would. Um, 
your loyal readers, including myself, appreciate your diligence. I mean, I just, I'm just so nervous, Ben. I understand. None of the none of the publicity photos have Mulder and Scully in the same scene together. There are ten photos on the website. None of them. I don't even think Mulder's in any of them. I mean, I I know you're going into a a, a dark hole, and you're not going to hear anything before it happens. But if they don't make out in this episode, Liz you might hear my howl no matter how deep you get into the ground. I mean, basically understand that you can feel free to email, and this goes for everyone, feel free to send me all your reactions. Just know I'm not looking at any of them until I come out of my, my cave. So the point is, is that, uh, you, you, yeah, I will, you, please do send me what you're through, what you're thinking of tonight's episode. Um, and I will enjoy, I will so enjoy looking at it after, after, after I'm done with, with my, my life's work. Just <laughs> apparently writing about the X Files season ten. Duh. Oh, good lord! Put that on my tombstone. It's, we will. <laughs> she died doing what she loved, watching the X Files. Yeah, God, I mean, hard to think of a better way to go out, assuming it's not <laughs> terrible. <laughs> assuming, assuming it's not terrible. Oh, good lord! Then I want to believe. <laughs> oh, I bet that's said at least twice tonight. Everything a lot. Is, I everything is the worst. <laughs> By which I mean the best. Then what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, well, I, I will admit the reason I wanted you to go first was because I wanted to make sure you were going to say the X-Files. And if you weren't going to say the X-Files, I was going to call you out on it and say it myself. <laughs> uh, so, my, I mean, obviously the X-Files is the big thing for everybody. Right. But um, uh, in other words, in other universes, let's say, I am looking forward to the Oscars, Liz. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to the the all-white Academy Awards this Sunday on ABC. Uh, we're going to have NDYR people in the house, which is very exciting. Yeah, uh, we're, we're going gonna, gonna to have literally covered... In Wait, what did you say? Literally, well, not in our house house, but like uh, we've got... We're, people are coming to town for this nonsense. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. There's gonna. I mean, they're gonna be at the uh, at the Dolby. So yeah. You know, uh, you know when I made the joke about how the only thing that mattered this week was the X Files, I don't think it played as well on the conference call as as I, I wanted it to. Yeah, I mean, they're they're also in their own deep holes right now, so they may be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel and and, and appreciate a bit of of levity. But uh, or yeah, may we're, not be able yeah. to, as, or as the case may be. Exactly. Yeah, we're going to be. But we're going to be covering this like crazy, so um, I just wanted to take a moment and actually say that I personally am looking forward to the ceremony itself. I love watching the Oscars. I often, I always have like Oscar get-togethers, I call them. I can't call them parties because people are not allowed to speak. You have to sit there and watch that show. You can talk <laughs> with commercials, but I'm not missing anything, so... Um, I, I can't wait to see Chris Rock do his bit. I, I enjoyed his first time hosting. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm very much excited for for the Oscars themselves. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm actually I'm also I think the thing that has me most excited is a I really I'm going to enjoy I'm, I'm going to run our Oscar the in, in, internal IndieWire Oscar pool again. I need to uh, defending champion right here just for the. Did record. you win last year? Yeah, three way oh. tie. Yeah, well, this year Anne is actually competing. So I've beaten her before. It's not going to be a problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm going to run the internal Oscar, uh, anywhere Oscar pool. It's just for bragging rights, uh, any governmental authorities who are listening. Which but, is why I had to take advantage of my bragging rights no, while it lasts. Look, you earned them by winning. So Exactly. Um, so I'm going to run that. And also, 
Chris Rock, I think, did a really stellar job hosting last last time he did it. And I mean, I I love the fact that he he was already picked to host it before the nominations came out, so before the kerfuffle. Um, and also, I mean, you have to remember, like, this is still one of the most striking Oscar bit, comedy bits I in in my memory ever is uh, when he went to the Magic Johnson Theaters in Los Angeles and asked uh, people at there, which is, in case you aren't aware, is a largely black area of Los Angeles, and he asked uh, movie-going patrons there what they thought of the Oscar nominations. And they, they basically had never heard of any of the movies that were up for, for Best Picture. And yeah. it was such a striking bit that did, I don't think played particularly well in that theater for some reason. I can't imagine <laughs> why, but I still really loved it. It was tremendous. Yeah, I I feel like I want to temper my expectations slightly because of how perfect the pairing is like this year with the topic and the host. Um, and you know, well, because Terry, he's he threw, out, he threw a, out his original opening monologue like entirely to rewrite well, it for this. No, that's exactly what I'm speaking for. Like it's it's I don't want to expect too much. He's only a man, but at the same time, like it should be great. It should just be incredibly, incredibly well done. Um, and the last thing I'll say about the Oscars before we, we sign off is the only thing that would upset me more than Mulder and Scully not making out in the X-Files is if somehow Sylvester Stallone loses the Oscar. So if you hear that howl again on Sunday and you're like, well, how did it just get me? Did it just reach me for Monday? It took that long to get over here? No, no it's howls. a new and it's it's much louder. <laughs> you wait. So you're saying you care more about Sylvester Stallone winning an Oscar than you care about Mulder and Scully making out in the finale tonight? Yes. Oh gosh. I mean, I, I can't. I'm I don't. Sorry. I don't. No, it's okay. I don't blame you. I don't. Blame I care. You. I care more about my real life personal hero winning his well deserved Academy Award versus Chris Carter screwing up a relationship he continues to screw up. Well said. I will not argue with you. All right. <laughs> well, you can hear Ben's primal screams of pain uh, on IndieWire.com in text form. You That's also, true. <laughs> wait, trust me. I cannot wait for your think piece about Sylvester Stallone losing the Oscar next Monday if Ugh. that happens. Sorry, I don't need to tempt fate. I don't need to tempt fate. I'm just saying Tom Hardy is a fine-looking young man. Ah, boo. Anyways, uh, but you can hear, you can see, you can see Ben's primal screams of pain on in text form as well as interviews, reviews, features, so forth and so on. Uh, and you can hear Anne and Eric uh, talk about the Oscars after being there uh, on their podcast, uh, which is, I mean, I mean, assume everyone's listening to it by now. I mean, yeah, screen talk yeah. is is just a staple at this point, um, and and I'm sure that both of them, you know, film experts, critic. Uh, uh, you know, professional reporter for years, like knows everybody in the business. They would both agree that you know it's just ridiculous the idea of Tom Hardy winning an Oscar for anything other than Warrior. And since that didn't happen, then pff, forget about it. Like, give it to Sly. Um, and I'm sure our editor in chief would say, I think she said the same. I might have actually stolen that quote from her uh, from from her IndieWire influencers podcast because I mean, <laughs> who else would she be talking to this week other than you know the people who made Creed with Sylvester Stallone and Sylvester Stallone himself? So uh, make sure you check both of those out. They're they're well worth listening to, and not only because they you know so wholeheartedly agree with me. Spoiler alert: they, Dana Harris may never actually have mentioned Warrior once on Indi IndieWire influencers. <laughs> I don't. That doesn't sound accurate. I, I, I'll I'll, I'll re-listen. <laughs> 
Okay, and you can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. And you can follow Liz on Twitter at Lizlet with an I and an E. Yep, we'll be back next week. Uh, fresh from the Oscars, fresh for... Fresh, well, not so fresh after the X Files has ended, but we'll see how we'll see how things go, guys. We'll fresh see enough. Th- we'll see how things go. Pray, pray for, <laughs> pray for us. Liz. Pray for not, just pray for the X Files. Yeah. Pray for our fond memories of it. Um, and in the meantime, keep watching television.